The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...scams a bunch of famous athletes out of untold fortunes... Nearly $10 million was all gone. It's just unbelievable. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Family Secrets is a production of iHeartRadio. Hi, Family Secrets listeners. It's me, Danny, here with part two of my conversation with Gretchen Rubin, which we recorded live back when live audiences were still a thing. This audience in particular came prepared with some really thought-provoking questions about the ethics of secret-keeping informed by their own personal experiences. I can't wait for you to listen. And be sure to keep an eye out for more great bonus content as we work hard on the new season of Family Secrets coming in October. Hi, Gretchen and Danny. Thank you so much. My name is Sherry Hoftestad. I'm a therapist, and I spe- one of my specialties is infertility and third-party reproduction. So I work with individuals and couples who are pursuing um, using a donor egg, donor sperm, donor embryo, and a lot of them struggle. You know, I can tell them all of the research behind disclosure and the importance of telling their child their story from the beginning. What do you think is the most important thing I can impart to these, these you know, individuals or couples about the importance of disclosing and disclosing early? Thank you. Thank you for that question. Um, well, I think the most motivating thing would be your child is going to find out. And that's what I'm saying. To, I, I, I actually, for myself, when I receive letters and, you know, notes from people or people come up to me, I leave the, like, you know, disclosure good, non-disclosure bad out of it and just say, your child's going to find out. Because that's, to me, very convincing. It's just 
Do you want to be in a situation where at some point your child is going to turn to you and say, how could you have kept this information from me? We all have a right to know as much about our genetic identity as possible. And one other thing, I remember the moment where I suddenly realized I have been giving incorrect medical history all my life, confidently giving incorrect medical history um, for myself and for my own child um, in terms of family history. And that's just unacceptable. So I think on the very practical levels of just horses fled the barn, it's not going back. Hi, my name is Hadar. Um, I, you touched on this a little bit, but what is, if you're willing to share your personal opinion on these donors that are maybe unknowingly having several of these children out there. I mean, I've seen the stories of, you know, up to these 47 half-siblings, and how do you feel like the medical community should be addressing that, and should they be limiting? Because I feel like, as far as I've seen, there hasn't been many limitations. Thank you for that question, Hadar. So we are, and Canada are the only two countries in the developed world that do not have a registry. Um, that limits the number of offspring a donor can produce. In Europe, in Asia, there are, there's accountability, there's a registry, there's a number in Taiwan, that number is one, um, and I think it goes up to maybe about 25 in like the Netherlands. But there's, there's accountability and there's, there's what? And there's monitoring, exactly. And the monitoring actually ends up um, accomplishing a lot. It means that donors have to be truthful about their medical histories. There's a lot of things that go, that go into it. The agencies that are, um, you know, selling donor sperm and donor eggs are still promoting anonymity. They're still, you can go on these sites and see that donors are being listed as anonymous when it's no longer possible for donors to be anonymous. And um, to me, that's a kind of malpractice. It's, 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 it, no pun intended, it's inconceivable to me <laughs> that, that people are falling for it, um, and, and, that it and that it's being advertised and marketed in that way. So it's one of the reasons why I will continue to be a voice about this, because it feels like it's part of the work of my life now to say, do you realize there's no regulation in this country about this? And combine no regulation with lack of disclosure. And you end up with situations where, I mean, a recent story that I heard, a doctor who's, I guess, probably in his 60s, 50s maybe, sat his teenage children down um, because they were reaching an age where they were starting to date. And, and he said to them, don't date anyone from Michigan. And he had been a medical student at, you know, Michigan, and he donated his way through medical school as a young, poor medical student. And he was basically, he was trying to do the right thing, actually, by letting his children know that he had been a sperm donor. That's a very helpful thing to know um, as you make your way into the world. But it's also like, and nobody leaves Michigan? I don't know. <laughs> I took with interest lots of what you said, and you just mentioned the similarity but difference between the similarity and difference between secrets and privacy. In the same way, I'm, I guess I'm struck by the fact that identity and ancestry are not the same. And, and so what you got from your father is identity. The ancestry was different. 
That's right. And that's a very profound idea. Um, I realized when I told my son what I had discovered and that it was actually not a big deal for him. That, oh, he was very happy to realize that he might not be bald like my dad and my grandfather, my great, like all the, all the men, I guess, even staring at the portraits in my house and like picturing his future bald self. But he wasn't perturbed. And I, what I realized was that my father, he had never known my dad. So my father to him was an ancestor. And I was very identified with my ancestors. It's one of the reasons why this was so world-rocking for me. I come from a family on my father's side that was very conscious of its own posterity, and I I'd received many stories of the generations before me, and I had kind of incorporated them into my identity. We don't love our ancestors. We can't love our ancestors because we never knew them. We didn't walk the world with them. We love the people that we walk the world with, who we grapple with and who we fight with and we, who we you know, engage with and who, and, who, and who we love. They're the people, those are the people who uh, form our identities. I mean, I've come to the realization that really it took three people to make me. You know, I, I am as formed by my mother and my dad who raised me um, and my biological father, with whom I have a great deal of familiarity. I, I, I inherited a lot of traits from him and a constitution from him in a certain way. Um, but so, but identity-wise, I mean, people ask me, and this, someone, someone may have this question, so I'll just answer it. So do you feel less Jewish now or more Jewish because I'm biologically half Jewish? Um, I actually feel more Jewish now because I now understand all the questions people were always asking that made me feel like such an outsider. Now it, now it just all makes sense to me. So my sense of self-identity is actually stronger and way more powerful than it was before my discovery. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Uh, thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. <laughs> People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune into exactly. what's going on. Authors of books that have changed 
my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, hi, I'm Rachel Zoe, and I'm back for another season of my podcast, Climbing in Heels. You might know me from the Rachel Zoe Project or perhaps from my work as a celebrity stylist. And guess what? I'm still just as fully obsessed with all things fashion, beauty, and business. My podcast, Climbing in Heels, is all about celebrating the stories of extraordinary women, and this season, we're taking things up a notch. I'll be talking to some incredible women across so many industries, from models and beauty industry stars to doctors, entrepreneurs, and TV personalities. Climbing in Heels is here to bring you a weekly dose of glamour, inspiration, and fun. Every week, listeners will be able to ask me any questions. I'm answering it all. My life is absolutely crazy with so much going on, and I'm so beyond excited to bring you along for the ride. Whether we're talking red carpet looks, current trends, or products I'm obsessed with, I'm here to be your fashion fairy godmother. Listen to Climbing in Heels every Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. That this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately eleven million dollars. Nearly ten million dollars was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich men, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, season five, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I was a donor at Pennsylvania Hospital, not University of Pennsylvania Hospital, in the 70s and 80s, and it was anonymous. And then five years ago, because my father's DNA before he died was in a mix, they started contacting, looking for their grandfather and discovered it was me. And I have since been in touch and met two of them. I am in writing touch with several others. The question I have for you, and this is a dilemma I'm having now, is uh, a woman put her DNA in and is looking for it is clearly me. And somehow I didn't hear back, so I found the mother and wrote to the mother and to ask. And the mother wrote back, please don't tell my daughter it would ruin the family although the daughter must see something already, and I don't know what I should do. Do I, it, it's, it's my responsibility yeah. to the mother who says it would wreck her family or to the daughter who wants to know? That's a, you see the kinds of stories that are coming? I mean, it's extraordinary. Thank you for sharing that, and thank you for asking that. Um, it would seem to me that the daughter is searching, and your information is available, so she will find you. 
if she wants to. She will find you because she's looking, right? She, she, she took a DNA test, right? So it would seem to me that making yourself discoverable is your best, you know, sort of action in a way. Like I, I was approached by a man in his 80s after a talk I did recently who just randomly was at the talk, knew nothing about what I was going to be talking about. And it turned out he had been a donor at the Institute in Pennsylvania where I was conceived at around the same time. And after we talked, he said, you know, I'm going to do a DNA test so that my biological children, if I have any, can discover me, which I thought was, you know, was the opposite of what some responses are, right? So you've made yourself, you've made yourself available, and that's a beautiful thing. Um, and now I think it's like up to the fullness of time to let it play out, is what I would say. Hi, Danny. I'm a, my name's Rena. I'm a huge fan of your writings. Um, I have a question. Dr. Van Nicole says that when you have a traumatizing event, that that trauma can become cellular um, and that shame carries. So my question is, have you carried any of the shame that you speak of that your parents had? And if so, what do you do to combat it? That's a great question. And I think the answer is yes. I think that's one of the things that I really had to contend with is I had to rethink and reimagine my history, my history with my parents. Um, how they, I found it very painful to read The Body Keeps the Score, reread it. I had read it once before I, uh, before I had made this discovery. I didn't find it nearly as painful. Uh, to know that they were... Um, my parents themselves were in a dissociated state, um, I think, for m most of our shared lives together because they were keeping a secret. You know, the tagline for Family Secrets, the podcast, is um, the, keep, the secrets that are kept from us, the secrets we keep from others, and the secrets we keep from ourselves. And the secrets we keep from ourselves are, in many ways, the most toxic of secrets. Yes. Yeah, Gretchen is mentioning... My, my Christmas card, when I was a, a little girl, I was the Kodak Christmas poster child. And there was a whole story, you'll, you, when, if, when you read my book, you'll, I, I write about it in Inheritance, there was a whole story that went along with how an Orthodox Jewish girl wound up wishing the entire world a Merry Christmas. Um, but when you actually look at the poster, look at it with cold eyes, it's so clear that it was set up that I was set up to be the Kodak Christmas poster child, which is not the story that I ever understood. But if you just look at it, I mean, confirmation bias, you know, it's, it's so clear that that's what it was. So my parents, when, when my son was born, my mother walked into the hospital room, he was, you know, hours old, and she said, he looks just like a Shapiro. And she meant it. I believe she could have passed a polygraph test. So we were in this world of the unthought known. We existed in this world of the unsaid. And I think I was really formed by that in so many ways. And in terms of how, what I do with it, um, I do this with it. Um, I, I think I've written from that place for a long time. I try to be as, I try to take the material 
that life has presented me with and shape it into art, shape it into something that will touch other lives, to connect, um, to, to do it in as authentic a way as I possibly can so that I feel like I'm, I'm using it, it's not using me. Danny, this is Dan. Um, thank you not only for your books, but for reading some of them for Audible. My question is about the cross-section of uh, secrets, lies, and privacy. Um, so there's a certain energy that seems to be involved with maintaining a lie or keeping a secret. I'm wondering, as a memoirist, when you are protecting someone's privacy, is there any fear of like not keeping your facts or your identities straight, which one you're going to protect and which one you're going to make public? Um, does it take a similar kind of energy as keeping a secret, other secrets? That's interesting. It, it, it's in all of my memoirs, I've had different relationships to the question of um, protecting or changing, you know, the the identity, the, the identifying details of of people that I have written about. I and it's 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 again as individual as this the circumstances and the book. For example, um, in my first memoir, Slow Motion, my mother was still living. And, um, and it, by the way, it's going to be on Audible. I have two more, I mean, I mean it's going to be an audio book. I have two more um, of my uh, backlist that are turning into audiobooks, which is so pleasing to me, both slow motion and still writing. But in slow motion, my mother was still living. I was very conscious. I did not want to hurt my mother. You know, if any of you are writing memoirs, um, one of the things that, like a really good tool to, with which to think about this is the question of motivation. Writing out of revenge. Gretchen was just saying, doesn't this come up with wedding toasts too? It's like a chance. I've seen wedding toasts go very awry. Right? It's like, why, why, why are you choosing now to recount the entire romantic history of the bride? Like that kind of thing. Um, but the question of motivation, I think if the writer is sitting there and thinking, I can't wait until so-and-so reads this, then it's a really good indication that um, you're writing like to someone, against someone. Um, when, I mean, I protected my biological father's identity because it felt like that was completely the right thing to do. It's one thing to be contacted by a biological child. It's another thing to have that biological child, you know, plaster your name all over creation. I mean, that was... And there was no reason for it. There was nothing, nothing to be gained by anybody in terms of doing that. But when I've written about my parents, my half-sister who I grew up with, I mean, much older half-sister, um, I've felt that what I've attempted to do is tell my story as um, conscientiously and... In, in the most crafted way that I possibly can, not to tell their story, but to tell my story that also has them within my story. We don't live in isolation. Um, my friend Andrea Debuse, uh, the third, the wonderful writer, 
he, I once heard him say when somebody was saying, how could you have written about your younger brother? His younger brother had been abused by a high school teacher. How could you have written about him? That You had no right to do that. And Andre said, you know, when I would come home after school to our parentless empty house and I would walk down the hall and my brother's bedroom door was closed and I would hear what was going on on the other side of that door. What was going on on the other side of the door is my brother's story to tell. But what happened to me on my side of the door and my feelings about not being able to protect my brother and my own sense of helplessness, that's my story to tell. And I love that as an example because it's actually a door and a knob and a hallway. It's like, that's yours and this is mine. But again, we don't live in isolation, so our stories touch each other. We'll be back in a moment with more Family Secrets. I'm Elliot Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true, and I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things, and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh, great, you see me too. We'll laugh together. We'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart's Outspoken Network for a year, and what a year it has been. Every weekday, I navigate our rapidly changing world alongside our series of fabulous expert guests. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Woke not just to the latest headlines, but also to the collective power we all have. Woke to the need to build community with those around us. Woke to how to avoid burnout and woke to the ways we can all find joy in the madness. Make Woke AF Daily with Danielle Moody your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. And tune in to hear the ways I am working to stay grounded amidst it all. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. 
How this beguiling woman in her 50s. She looked like a million bucks. With zero qualifications. She had a Harvard plaque. Tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About six million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, how are you? My name is Sophia. Um, I am uh, very interested in the idea that um, when your father discovered your success, I can imagine he was um, proud and he wanted to get to know you, but he, your father, biological father, is not a simple man. He's also a very accomplished person. So from your angle, how did your relationship um, flourish, considering that he's not an average individual? And um, also, where are you holding in your relationship now? You know, I don't know that my biological father initially felt proud or anything like that. I think he initially just felt like, uh-oh, um, this is just... It's, it's very hard to, to make that kind of leap with someone who's a stranger, even though there's all of this, you know, genetic, you know, commonality and, and a sense of, again, the familiar. Um... I feel that we were lucky in a lot of ways because we both tried to do the right thing. Ultimately, there was a lot of a sense of compassion and kindness um, that flowed in both directions. And to go back to privacy, I talk very openly about, and I write very openly in Inheritance about what that experience was of finding him and eventually meeting him but I'm never going to talk or write about our relationship as it moves forward um, because that feels like we get to have that relationship now and that he doesn't have to be the biological father of a writer. He just gets to be the biological father of Danny and I get to have him as my, you know, whatever that relationship is. It's not, he, he doesn't feel like my father. It feels like we have a, a special, unusual friendship for which there's no playbook. Hello, so my name's Sarah, and I'm, I have a question on behalf of my family and my father, who um, was most likely conceived at the Wistar Institute, him and his two siblings, and found out that they were 50% Jewish. Well, not all of them, but he was, even though he never knew it was part of his family history. Um, so my question is, um, if you have any research ideas, he's sort of hit a, a wall, and um, he's been down to the Wistar Institute, and they deny any sort of history. Um, he's been down multiple times and even walked off the premises by security, and just would like to know where he can continue the research and how he can figure out um, if my grandparents actually did go down there for, you know, infertility treatment. What year was your father born? 
Um, he was born in 1950, mm -hmm. and um, my his siblings were born, I think, 1953 and 55. It's so interesting to me that Worcester would um, deny any knowledge of this because there are many newspaper articles about um, Edmund Ferris. I'll just give you a brief overview of this so you understand the question. Um, I forgot how near Philadelphia we are. So I was able to find out where I was conceived and it was an institute called the Ferris Institute for Parenthood. And it was um, run by a man named Edmund Ferris um, who had originally been at the Worcester Institute. This is all on the campus of Penn. Um, Ferris was the director of the Worcester Institute. He was performing regularly um, donor inseminations there. He had an entire lab set up there where he was, this is what he was doing. And when the church caught wind of what he was doing, they put a lot of pressure on him to, to shut down. And also, one of the stranger things that I discovered that I write about in Inheritance is that Ferris was not an MD, which means that he was practicing medicine without a license. He was a scientist. He was a brilliant scientist that actually never got his proper due, um, largely because he was disliked, and he was also doing... It was, it's very likely that it would have, would have been Edmund Ferris who uh, your, grandpa your grandparents would have gone to. Right? So it's undeniable. I mean, it's in newspaper articles. I'm sure your father has found those newspaper articles. The institutional lack of culpability, I'm not even sure what to say about. Um, that's, it's because it's not, there's no denying it. It would seem to me in terms of learning more that the answers are all going to be in the DNA. Um, that, that if there's, if, if that was the case, then family tree-wise, there ought to be someone, you know, a really good genealogist to help your, your, your father kind of sort that, sort that out. Um, that's the best I can offer. Thank you so much, Gretchen and Danny. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elia Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Tamika D. Mallory. And it's your boy, my son, the general. And we are your hosts of TMI. And catch us every Wednesday on the Black Effect Network, breaking down social and civil rights issues, pop culture, and politics in hopes of pushing our culture forward to make the world a better place for generations to come. Listen to TMI on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. That's right. That's right.